Hi there, welcome along to a brand new episode of the High Performance Podcast. Conversations with people who absolutely lead the way in their chosen fields. And they share things on here that you simply won't hear them talk about anywhere else. And they're sharing those things with one aim and one aim only, to improve your mindset so you can live a more high-performance life. You know, one thing I always say to the guests before we start the record, um, whether we're in person or doing it you know, over Zoom or whatever, I say, listen, um, please just don't treat this like any other interview because I know you do loads of interviews. Um, this is all about really enriching people. And the only way that we can really help people live a better life is by you being completely honest. And 99% of the guests change completely when you say that to them and they realize that this isn't about them it is about you it's about you listening to this and I think sometimes we still have guests where they run through the PR stuff but what me and Damien often notice is that happens for the first 20 minutes and then as soon as they've sort of run out of the usual stuff they talk about that's when we get to the real golden part of it and I think they also understand very quickly if they don't already listen to the podcast that me and Damien are not here to you know turn them over or cause them problems or look for salacious headlines we are literally just doing this for good reasons and good reasons only um and i'm going to be totally honest right when i first started this podcast i was certain we needed household names people who you listening to this knew who they were already so you'd be flicking through podcasts and there's so many podcasts i've told you before that i almost didn't do this it was only after i picked up the phone to fern cotton who has happy place and i said look Shall I do this podcast? It seems like there's a lot of them out there. I I think we're just going to get lost in the ether. And she recommended we did it. But I was sure that we just needed big names so that you'd, you'd come and listen. And I think that while they're great, you know, just having people with big Instagram followings is not the answer. It's all about people who have not only done it and lived it, genuinely lived it and done it and achieved stuff and, and enjoyed their lives. But crucially, people who are able to work out what they did and how they did it and can clearly see the mistakes they made because it only works if we get guests on here that truly enrich your life and clearly improve your mindset and I think today is one of the people where when I say Rick Lewis you're thinking Rick Lewis Rick Lewis do I know that guy I'm not sure I do you might know him if you don't over the next hour you are going to get to know him and you are going to learn so much from this episode of the High Performance Podcast. This is the kind of stuff that Rick is going to share with you. That was the beginning of changing my life, which is amazing. I was like that moment. So in sports, uh, took a big L against Michael Jordan. So well, that's fine. That's what happened. Well, I mean, everybody took a big L. I mean, like, I, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's probably the biggest crowd I have in the world. Michael was on the cover of Sports Illustrated because he was just been picked for the 1984 Olympic team. So it's giving you some dating. And our coaches were in the autograph line. That's not a good <laughs> thing. It is making too many people feel like they're losing when they're winning. No matter what you do, there's somebody out there in the world that's doing it better. A better holiday, a better boat, a better car, yeah, a better... Yeah. But one of the things that people do is they retreat into just looking rather than doing anymore because what's the point? I love him. I absolutely, I find him one of the most inspirational individuals. Um, and I want him to be a mentor for me. I want to reach out to Rick and ask him if he will, uh, if he'll spend some time just giving me a bit of clarity. Cause I think he is a, such a smart and brilliant guy. And just to be really clear actually about what you're going to hear, he has 12 guiding principles for the business that he runs, the massively successful business that he runs. He has never shared them anywhere else. 
but he shares them on this podcast. And I know a lot of people send me messages saying, I listen to the podcast when I'm out for a run or I'm taking the dogs for a walk or I'm in the car or whatever. But I think it's so important with this episode in particular that you also find time to um, listen to it when you can make notes and really think about the things that Rick's saying. Um, as you know, Damon and I are releasing a high-performance book in December and you can pre-order it now in the link in the description for this podcast but we've been talking to each other about people buying books for what is shelf improvement rather than self-improvement you buy the book it looks great you put it on your shelf and you don't read it you can only get the most out of these podcasts if you put the effort into really sitting down making notes reflecting on what was said you don't even have to like or agree with what that person is saying but just reflect on it and think about it and there is going to be so much for you to reflect on from Rick Lewis today. One of the great episodes of the High Performance Podcast is about to be delivered to you. Enjoy it. It comes next. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It is time for the track cycling at the Olympics, which I'm really excited about. Um, and you will be able to cheer on Team GB knowing that they are safely aboard a Lotus. Uh, not a Lotus car, but a Lotus bike, because Lotus have been working in conjunction with Team GB to create a bike with Lotus Engineering at the heart of it. You may remember that Chris Boardman in 1992 used a Lotus bike to an Olympic gold. And as they get going in Tokyo on the track cycling, I am certain that Lotus will repeat their success and drive Team GB to glory. Just as they've driven the High Performance Podcast from day one. They're our founding partner. We wouldn't be here without them. So good luck this week to all the cyclists, to all of Team GB and to Lotus, who will be at the centre of the story. Check them out. Lotus Cars to build one successful business takes fierce commitment so how about three businesses on two continents including tristan capital partners a 12 billion dollar real estate investment firm imagine then also finding time to break down doors for others to walk through today's guest has been ranked the most influential black person in britain with African or Afro-Caribbean heritage on the 2019 power list. That is something to be hugely proud of. Is the founder and chairman of the Black Heart Foundation, which aims to remove barriers to higher education. He also established Impact X, a venture capital company created solely to invest in underrepresented entrepreneurs across Europe. And all of this after humble beginnings that saw him become the first in his family to go to university. What a journey 
So let's find out more about it because it's an absolute pleasure to welcome to High Performance Rick Lewis. Rick, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. Well, that's some journey so far. All the way through your story, and Damien and I have really enjoyed researching this interview, we see high performance traits and learnings and lessons. So as you sit here now, after all the amazing things you've done, what to you is high performance? Well, I think there's an absolute definition and then there's a relative definition. The absolute definition is an easy one, right? Like what score do you need to win? What uh, score do you need to pass the test? You know, there's an absolute marker and it's very clear. I think much more interesting is the, the relative one, which is, you know, what is that, what is that group of things and qualities that are, that feel aspirational to you? I'm a big fan of believing that you got to jump off the hamster wheel of seeking third party approval. So I think one of those things that's really important is deciding what, you know, what are my aspirations? Mm. What are the things that are going to make me feel like, wow, I accomplished something beyond my own initial expectations. Then you can move on to that of other people. But I think the ultimate really is if you get to the place, and for me, really true high performance is achieving over and above what I would have originally expected, what other people might have expected, but doing it in a way that doesn't compromise my ethics, my personality, or how I want to be known. That's truly high performance. So what was expected of you then? It's a good question. So, I mean, you know, it's not because of my background. It wasn't that there wasn't a pretty high bar. My parents were pretty strict. I mean, you know, they wanted me to study. I was a pretty decent athlete in a bunch of different sports at, at times and went on to be a pretty good one in basketball. But they never let me forget my studies. And that's why when I found out that I wasn't Michael Jordan and I wasn't going to be playing <laughs> in the NBA for very long, I had something to fall back on. So, I think the things that I take away from my childhood that, that they expected of me is they expected me to apply myself. They expected me to be as smart as I had the potential to be. And I think the biggest thing that I see in the world that people don't get is that I had to develop a personality and manners that was in keeping with what they expected of me and my greater family did. My mother, my grandmother, my father. And I think that's the part that people don't get that that's a, that's a really important facet of life is like, who do you want to be as a person? How do you want to be known? Out of all the stories that I've read in the research on you, though, Rick, there was one from that period of your life that took my breath away that I found really quite moving, the one of the teacher that told you that you yeah. were setting the bar too low. Yeah. Would you tell us about that and the impact that it had on you? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the, one of those weird things that you say, was that a chance meeting? Was it fate? But it's it's definitely motivated me to do the stuff I do in philanthropy with my foundation, the Black Heart Foundation. This was head of guidance for our our town. He wasn't even directly related to the school. I was a good student and I was a class officer. Um, that's another story because I don't know what motivated me to do that. But you know, and he asked me. I think this was this was my third year of four years of high school. And he said, "What are you going to do next year?" Meaning, like, which school are you going to go to? And I said, "I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to university." And he gave me the, the equivalent of a virtual slap in the head. And he's like, of course you are. Like, you're an excellent student. And then he asked me where. And I had had a guidance counselor. I don't know if that's a familiar term here, but it's like careers a careers counselor. Careers counselor. Yeah, yeah they're, they're infamous in both continents, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that had me, I mean, he was probably nearing retirement. He was past his sell-by date. So he was, he had me applying to schools that were well below my potential. They were good schools, but I would have had a nice, comfortable life and 
a family and a couple of kids and whatever. And he just said, hey, get this signed. And it was a permission slip for him, for me to leave school with him. And he took me to a university college fair where everyone was represented in Boston, which is 20 miles from my hometown, and walked me table to table with my grades. And they encouraged me to apply. And that, that was the beginning of changing my life, which is amazing. I was like that moment. What did that moment do for you then? Well, the best schools in the country said, please apply. And I applied to those schools and I got in everywhere. And then, you know, we set off on road trips to start visiting schools that I would go. And I picked the one that I went to because it looked, this is so funny, like almost naively, it looked exactly what I expected college to look like. Right. The buildings, the grounds, et cetera. That's not the way you're supposed to pick your university, <laughs> right? But it was for me. Um, and then when I got to university, I was truly there with some of the best students from some of the best, most accomplished families, you know, in the U.S., in North America, in the world. And I just realized, like, the short version is, like, I belong here. Like, if this is what the future is and this is uh -huh. high performance, count me in. Deal me you in. You felt at home. Well, everything was an adjustment and retrospective is 2020, right? So, yeah. you know, I'm sure I didn't feel at home plenty of times. But I looked at my roommates, you know, one roommate, his father and his grandfather had both gone to the school. They had both been CEOs on Wall Street. Um, my other roommate, his father had given back then, this is a billion years ago. No, a billion years ago when I was in university, <laughs> not a billion years ago when he made the gift. But his father had, had made a $35 million donation to the school and the college center was named after him. Right. You know, and I was thinking, this is the future. This is what successful people look like. And I just said about terrorizing them because they were just my roommates. I mean, like they were just, and you just realize like, I'm a little kid from Salem, Mass, or actually I'm a guy at Dartmouth College and I'm completely comfortable. Now, I also had basketball and sports as a, another equalizer to find yeah. my footing, but it changed my aspiration bubble from like a really good, wonderful homegrown life to what, what can't I do? But what fascinates me on that, Rick, is like, what adjustments did your parents make to that? So I understand that you're getting the experience of seeing this world and feeling that you belong there. How yeah. did they adjust to it? It's a great question because when we work with young people with our foundation, we realize that there's a huge ripple effect and people don't understand the geometric or algorithmic ripple effect of working with a young person because it's not just you're changing the vector and slope of their lives. You're changing the vector and slopes of the people around them. And so when I was going through that, my parents were changing too because they were being invited into situations either that they saw me in or that they were being asked to come into that was outside of their comfort zone that stretched them. But even me coming back, because there's a real phenomenon that we experience with young people, and I probably had this too, I just didn't know it because I was going through it, that I'm getting, uh, you could say, smarter or more worldly or more knowing, and you're coming home, and parents can either embrace that or go, uh, where did you come from, smart guy? Why do you think you're so smart? And they start to drag their children back. We see yeah. this all the time with the kids that we work with. So we're always trying to provide an environment around them that is supportive of them because it takes, my grandmother had this great saying, it takes a village to raise, you know, a single point of greatness, which is, means that like, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen with just one person. Like it sometimes looks like one person's been successful, but like, if you really look at what's made me successful, it's the commitment and sacrifice of my parents, my grandparents, but even just that little point that you brought up, them not blocking me, them going, yeah, that's crazy. And I have no idea what you're going to do, but go do it. 
you know, and, and supporting you through it. Because we often ask on this podcast, what can we teach our children? What message can we share? What thing can we say? And it, it almost feels trite, doesn't it? Like you can't just say a sentence to a seven-year-old and move them to the next place. It almost feels like you can work with that person, but you need to make sure that everyone around them is even if they can't get them there themselves, they have to not hold them back from getting, they yeah. have to allow them to go on that journey. But that, I think that can be scary for a lot of people. The thing that we do with our foundation is we try to provide some financial sort of bridging between sort of where they are and their potential. But the single biggest ingredient to success with the young people that we help is the pastoral care and encouragement around them. Mm. And there's a lot of charities and, and functions that go out there and they do something, they'll teach or they mentor. But you got to remember that, that a lot of these people like me, like all of us, perhaps at times, they move back into their environment and their environment is so different from that enriching peace that they experience. Now, I'm not in every situation, but you've got to give them the network to be able to yo-yo back in between those things until their environment catches up to their potential. And so that pastoral care and the encouragement and the direction and just normalizing, you know, some of the lessons, which mm-hmm. is the struggle's real. This is hard. It's supposed to be hard. And you're supposed to fall down, but it's okay. Not like, hey, you fell down. I told you you were going to fail. You shouldn't start again because that happens a lot. Yeah. So what's your message when it comes to failure for the young people that you work with at the foundation? Failure is normal. I mean, it, there's nobody that has gotten through life without an L. There's nobody in life that's gone through their entire career existence without an L. Everyone has tons of them. What was your biggest? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Um, so in sports, uh, took a big L against Michael Jordan. So well, that's one that's what happened. Well, I mean, everybody took a big L. I mean, like, I, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's probably the biggest crowd I have in the world. Now I played against him, you know, to talk about in university. We played there and he was, they were ranked number one in the nation. We were down there. It was just before Christmas. This is going to date me, but ESPN was a fledgling network wow. at that time. Right. So this was on TV. All my friends were at home. The part that probably isn't out there that much is that we got pasted, right? I mean, it was a bad sign because you're there a day early and you're in a shoot around and um, they have the court, then you have the court. After our shoot around and their shoot around, they had an autograph session because at the time, Michael was on the cover of Sports Illustrated because he was just been picked for the 1984 Olympic team. So it's giving you some dating. And our coaches were in the autograph line. That's not a good thing. Okay. That's not a good thing. That's not telling you that you're good, good prospects to win this one. Um, but at some point, um, yeah, no, there was a moment in the game where I thought I had the guy, the guy that I was covering was covering me sealed off. And I was thinking, do I dunk it? Do I just lay it in? I just thought I'd lay it in and get out of there. And two guys came from the help side and blocked it into like the seventh row of the stands wow. and the commentator on. And ESPN said, what was Lewis thinking about? <laughs> so that's what I got, got when I got home. And how Christmas. old were you at that point? Uh, 19, 19, yeah. And did 19, you have 20. The, the vitamins and minerals at that time to deal with that kind of thing? To deal with that? Sort yeah, of I mean, I probably thing. had the humility to know that, like, this was an aspiration but was not going to be my life's work i wasn't good enough i mean like you know people always go like well you're 610 and you were a good basketball player why didn't you Mm. and and a lot of my friends here are professionals or ex-professionals i mean like highest level professionals they're like why didn't you play forever i'm like do you know how good people are yeah like i mean seriously good i mean you know the, the numbers i say sometimes is that back then there were 28 teams in the league and if you go through the high-paid veterans, the journeymen that were in multiple years, a couple of development players. At any time in the NBA back then, there was maybe two seats 
three seats of the 15-man roster that was potential for you to make the team, you multiply that by 28, you got, you know, you got 60 to 90. And there's only back then maybe 50 million people looking for those. (laughs) They're coming from university. There's, you know, there's 4,000 universities in the States, then the Development League, then all of Europe, then the rest of the world. Now there's probably 150 million people looking for those 60 seats. So when you've gone to Dartmouth then, part of it is is in terms of your academic credentials, what you can offer, and some of it is in the sporting gifts that you have as a basketball player. So you described starting to feel that you belonged. How did that manifest itself in both your academic results as well as the sporting side? Yeah, darn, you're going to ask, I'm going to get the whole transcript out. Yeah, um, I was I was a very, very good student um, in high school and before that. In university, I was an average to above average student. I mean, I definitely came down a couple levels. And my revisionist history is that I spent a lot of time on the social and other (laughs) development side. I don't mean partying because I had basketball and all of that stuff. But there's no question that I grew by leaps and bounds in who I was as a full person versus kind of a nerdy academic through high school and, you know, a sports person. But then, you know, so I was social chairman of my fraternity. I was, so I was out there on the basketball team. And my buddies that will listen to this will shudder a little bit. Like, I was definitely the jokester. I was definitely the wise ass. I was definitely the one, like, at pre-practice going, okay, now there's three things to think about before the coach comes, right? Like, I was the one taking control of that. And that presence definitely made me part of who I am now. Like it made me comfortable being a CEO and being out in front, et cetera. I wasn't the best player on our team. I was the best player on some teams, but I wasn't the best player back then. But I had the presence to lead and convene and curate. And that's what I developed in school. So when my parents didn't love my grades, which were still very acceptable, that was my excuse. <laughs> but I, I really do think, you know, and my, my both of my daughters are now university age and they're exceptional students. I mean, off the chart, exceptional students. But I strongly encourage them, like, look, you already know what this stuff, like, just make sure you live. I'm not saying party all the time, but, you know, take a term off, do the stuff you need to do, because this is the part where you're shaping who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Can we talk about leadership then? What makes a good leader in your eyes? Because we have lots of teachers, lots of business leaders, Lots of CEOs listen to this podcast, but the most important leaders, I think, that listen to this podcast are parents. Well, I'll, I'll try to keep it, think about it from a parental perspective, but I think the thing that, that I think resonates most is that I think integrity and authenticity, you know, it's hard to fake those, right? It's, you know, when people look at you and you're talking about whether it's business strategy or your belief about something or your understanding of what could happen, they're trying to figure out the whole time, like, is this someone I want to follow? Like, are they comfortable with themselves? Are they saying something that they believe or they want to believe? And so I think one of the biggest ingredients in leadership is integrity and authenticity and and they can't be fabricated. So I always encourage my team to try and find their authentic self. Like you don't have to be everything. Like if you're Wonder Woman, be Wonder Woman. Don't have to be Aquaman. Like you can't. And, And besides when you do it, if you don't do it exceptionally well and comfortably, people can read it. They go, I'm not swimming with him. Yeah. I like, so, um, I think that's one of them. Obviously, you have to, you have to find your own way of working hard and working smart. 
you know, you're going to be a leader. And I, I believe in leading by example. You know, we have a lot of rules, not rules, but principles of our culture. And one of them is you can't be above doing the small things because people see that and go, right, is, is, is that what I'm trying to grow up to be? The guy who, or the woman who doesn't have to do certain things because I got to a level. Or it's that, no, I'm willing to take the bins out. I've got something else that might be more valuable to the franchise, but if we need to take yeah. the bins out, I'm going to take That's it out that. with you. Can we talk about this culture then? Because I think that, yeah. I mean, Damien is really interested in this. You've got, is it 12, <laughs> 12 rules? that? Yeah, 12 that, rules are, are principles of our culture that we created. And yeah, when we, when we started the business and, and I learned this from one of my mentors, which is he, he didn't have principles of the culture, but what I realized is that people liked working at the firm. Like, you know, if you consider that you spend 70 to 80% of your wake life, either at work or with people from work, then you want to work with people you trust, people that you like, yeah. and generally, and you know, not that you're, they're all going to be your best mates, but that you like being around. Yeah. And so trying to create a culture that reinforces winning, because, you know, people aren't doing it for philanthropy, you can do that somewhere else, in a comfortable manner is is an important part to being a successful company. But that that demands that you think a lot about culture. I think culture trumps strategy. You can have a business strategy, but you know, you get a couple of early wins, you can't keep the you can't keep the band together. You can't keep the band energized. You can't figure out how to motivate them to their next win. That's but what we try a, to do with but culture. A good culture can't make up for a bad strategy, no. I, I think a good culture can help you survive a bad strategy i see right so you can have a bad strategy and then you can you have the, the, the presence save you. and the honesty to say like look we're not winning here and this kind of sucks right. so why don't we actually look in the mirror and do something about because it's it the culture that allows culture you to be honest it. and vulnerable and admit mistakes and yeah pivot yeah if you do it right now, now these 12 they're basically formed from your life experiences so i, I mean <laughs> if you're cool with this i think we go through them love to and if you would just read out the first one and we'll just talk around each of the 12 because yeah, right, i think like you guys can have them and you can read well, them you can ask them my favorite no assholes yeah well that, that's that whole thing of like if you're going to spend so much of your time there why do you want to work done, with, why, <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to revisit your own existence that's a problem yeah why would you want to work with people you don't like and don't trust right like uh, nobody wants to spend time looking over their shoulder every day at work or you know so why would you do that in the place you want to so work we were joined by an entrepreneur called holly tucker she created not on the high street.com yep and she, hers was similar hers was i'd rather have a hole than an asshole right would you take it that far would you rather ask someone to walk out the door if they don't fit in we absolutely do all of these are nice ways of saying hey this is who we are now we've had situations where we're like hey look that's a foot fault mm. you get one of those you, but if you do it again then i'm going to assume it's intentional yep. and we've had that conversation and then we've invited people to leave we try to do it in a nice way we try to say like look you're going to be better off somewhere else and why don't we tell a great story that you wanted to leave rather than we just right. throw you out the window right like, but we will so how do you recruit and ensure that no assholes get through the door we spend a lot of time on the way in people go through a pretty rigorous process of us figuring out whether they're going to fit in our culture not that they have to be the same. I mean, we've got 150 people from 20 countries and speak 27 languages. There's no one imprint or footprint. Yeah. But what we have is that generally they feel like, okay, this is how I want to operate in life. The second one, 
the fight is outside of the glass. Yeah, it's just that like we're all competitive people. Or a lot of people are competitive, and and in business, most of the people are there to increase their net worth. I mean, yes, you want to learn along the way, you want to have a good time, but you're effectively doing it so that you can be better off, or your children can be better off, or your family can be better off. Um, and there's just no reason to steal from or or compete with the person next to you, outside the glass, outside the building. There are truly, literally millions of people to compete with. So why wouldn't you go compete with them rather than compete over the scraps or lunch of the person that sitting next to you? That sounds almost like a mate. lesson directly from your, from your sporting days. We're the team and we're up against the other team. You, you don't yeah. fight with them. Yeah, but you know how many times from sporting days that like, you know, you're having yeah. a squabble with your own teammate and you're like, seriously, we're down by 12. Why are we fighting each other? Yeah. And sometimes it's, for, it's because of desire. You want to do better. But you got to find a way to do better that isn't taking down the person next to you. Well, that's an interesting point then, Mick. So how do you encourage feedback that develops as opposed to feedback that demoralizes? So there, it's on there, right? It's one of those, it's a criticize behavior, not character, right? Really? So, number nine. Yeah, number nine. Yeah, exactly. It's that, you know, how many times have you heard people say like, that's so dumb, you're being so dumb, you're that, that's the dumbest thing I've heard, right? That's a, that's really on the line. What you're trying to say is that wasn't a great idea or that wasn't yeah. your best move. But it's a very thin line between that and saying something that's like, no, you're dumb or yeah. you're not good yeah, enough, yeah, yeah. right? And one you can recover from and the other you can't. I just think about the fact that as parents, you know, we have little children and they do something. Like, oh, that was stupid what you just, and that's, it's a classic parenting mistake, isn't yeah. it? You're criticizing the character, yeah, yeah. not the behavior. And, and that's exactly it. It really comes from parenting. And that's one of the things I've always encouraged, like, you know, my buddies is like, just make sure that you're criticizing the behavior because the behavior is correctable. Character is really hard to correct. You've got two young daughters yourself, then, Rick. Yeah. How, how much of these principles do you take into your home life yeah no there's definitely a bunch of them and there's a few more like, if, you, if you have my daughters here they're like oh, why isn't this one on there <laughs> yeah. you, know, like, you know i i think i'm pretty caring and encouraging but like you know i know that there's a strict part of me that you know there was they grew up knowing that there's behavior that's not acceptable but when it when i saw some of that and they were limited occasions girls okay in case you're listening um but when i saw some of that behavior i was like look you're you're not you're not having your best moment. And so I'm going to ask you to excuse yourself. You know, this is basically what it was. And so you, you've got to go. And when, when you're ready, come back in because you're welcome. Right? Wow. But if you that. can't do it, if you can't do it right now, I still love you and we'll get to it when you can. I love right? that because like, it's temporary, isn't it? It gives, yeah. the, gives a suggestion that you can fix mm, this. It's not well, It is. It's suggesting to them, like, you have control of this, even if you don't feel like you do or you don't feel like you do now, right? It's teaching them that, like, yeah. actually, this is yours, and you can do better, so and you will So where did you learn that lesson? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, I, I can say, uh, you know, my, my poor dad's departed, but, like, he didn't always exercise these, so I probably learned it the other yeah, way, right. which is okay. like, that was dumb. Here's a slap yeah, on the yeah, head yeah. And, and get out of but my face. That, <laughs> that is the opposite of how so many people, either parent or lead, is that they try to take control of the situation, and you're straight away in that giving control to them. Like, you leave, you sort it out yourself and come back when you're ready. I think. Oh, and it's hard sometimes. I mean, because yeah. what, what no one tells you when you're a parent is that, like, there's these developmental cliffs and and jumps 
mm-hmm. and you don't know when they're coming. So you don't know what they can handle. Sometimes they amaze you by what they can handle, but they also frustrate you because you so desperately just want to take control of the situation yeah. right? and can't. Number three. Well, that leads to number three because it's the Dunning-Kruger law, isn't it? That know what you know, know what you don't know, and don't be afraid to put your hand up and ask for help. And I think that is the single biggest asset we're testing for when somebody comes in. We want them to fit our culture, but what we're really saying is that you're going to be successful here if you can exercise judgment. And the best way you can exercise judgment is being radically honest with yourself about what you know, what you don't know, and having the guts to ask for help when you do, because we're a culture that will help. You just got to go, I'm not sure I have the right answer here. And you're aware that part of the role that you play as the man that leads this business is demonstrating that yourself yeah one of the biggest secrets that no one tells you is that when you get to the top you get to admit that you know less i go into plenty of situations (laughs) where i'm like you know what you guys might not think this but i have no idea what what we're talking about here or like they're whizzing by through the numbers and i haven't lost my edge like i i can get through a spreadsheet and go okay that number is wrong this doesn't make sense this is going to react badly in this market but there's times where they're talking through stuff and i'm like hold on hold on hold on I don't know where we are yet. I know where I came into it. And I think if anyone ever told you that like that is something that you're supposed to gain more of, not less of, but there are too many people that think I'm supposed to look like I know. And so one of the great pieces of advice I'd offer to people is don't sacrifice your right to be dumb. I mean, (laughs) I'm joking, right? But like people do because of pride and they sit there and they go, I won't ask the dumb question. Half the room is thinking the same thing you are. They're thinking, but it's so much easier for the leader to do that, yeah. I think. And that's what I'm saying is yeah. when you're the leader, it becomes easier to do uh-huh. that. So take it. You got a free pass. It's <laughs> like ask a friend. It's like, but people go the other way and they think like, no, no, I'm just going to look like I know exactly what's going on. You leave the room and no one does. See, that fits with something I read about. You do a weekly newsletter. Interesting. And it's called the Weekly Times, but... During the pandemic, you've called it the weekly tough times. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, the, yeah, you're very good. I actually don't. My CEO does, uh, Ian Lamming. He's brilliant. I mean, like literally writes opuses about, you know, and, and part of it is about what we're going through as a firm. Part of it's what's going on in the world, but also putting it in historical perspective. Right. And he's been great. It's been really great from, I think, an emotional and mental health perspective to just have something with which that he and we connected with our firm we combine that with sort of a all-team meeting but i think it's just those things that like just still humanizes which is like hey can you laugh at this you know and so and he signs it off as like elbow bumps all around because that's all you could do for a long time right <laughs> we're a pretty social firm we work hard play hard and he was just he was it was one more way of finding a way to connect and i, I have to say i can't take any credit for it except that we and i helped create the culture where that was possible Right. Where that was something that felt natural and not awkward or weird or like, well, why am I reading this thing from the CEO where he's talking about his childhood? You know, like, yeah. And so that's the good part of culture, I think. Yeah. It just smacked me of that principle talks about, which is about humility. Sometimes yeah. accepting that we're in a tough time and we don't know how long it'll last or, or how we're going to get through it, but we will. That sense of optimism as well. Yeah. I, I think I think what you just touched on, humility, the great part about, you know, finding your way to having or practicing humility is that you can triple high five when you win sometimes. I mean, like the other side of it, like, you know, if at least that's maybe my personality, which is that, 
you know, I don't mind doing a bunch of things in silence or in quiet that people don't know and they aren't clapping for. But when I get really excited about having done something, I'm like, I'm gonna let you know, right? Yeah. Because because I didn't practice that every day and I'm not in your face every moment, but like, this is outstanding. Let's let's show this off. I like that. No one messes with the franchise is number four. Yeah, I, and I think this is that, that delicate balance between your personal objectives you know, in anything in life, but let's just for this moment talk about in business and, and balancing what the collective needs. And what we try to be clear about is that we care about you. We want you to be able to build net worth. We want you to be able to balance home and family, but it has to be in the context of the franchise has to be bigger and better and more productive and more caring and more robust. Yep. And I think that's the part that people sometimes are like, but, but, what about me? And like, yes, you matter, but you can't matter more than the franchise because once we pick that, the franchise starts to erode and disappear. It reminds me of that. Do you remember the famous advertising one of don't mess with Texas? We invoke that sense of pride of where you're from and what it's about. That, that yeah. I can imagine that invokes a, yeah, an and, awful and, lot of and pride. And it comes in all ways, but like, you know, when it comes to comp issues, right, it's like, you know, people are like, well, you know, I deserve this and whatever. It's like, yeah, you do. You deserve to be on the path to achieving all of your dreams, but in the context of the firm still being able to make those dreams come true. Yeah, very smart. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Number five, this is a cracker. If you're above emptying the bins, you probably will be soon. Yeah, it's about ego. It's like, can you check your ego today? Like, to be successful at anything, you have to have a significant ego, right? You have to decide that you can get up and you can be a winner and you, or you can contribute in your own way to a winning team, right? That's what life's about. But at the same time, you've got to have the humility and the, the capability to check your ego and realize that like, I'm still willing to do any job 
So what so was the biggest months. lesson for you then, Mick, in learning that about subfusing your ego and keeping it in check? Well, I mean, in the world of sport, you see it so often, right? You know, someone that, you know, I mean, I, I joke about it all the time. I said, the day I come in and start talking about myself in the third person, you know that like <laughs> I, I'm past my sell-by date. But I mean, I, I played with or against people that thought their way to fire themselves up was to talk about sort of how good they were and whatever, right? And some of that was real and some of that was a facade, but it impeded the people around them. You know, I mean, some people can do both, but it's the rare phenomenon that can do both. I mean, yeah. we talked about Michael Jordan. He could talk about himself as the greatest in the world and fire everyone yeah. up. How do you help some of the young entrepreneurs that you mentor now then in a world where social media often rewards those that are loudest, those that can show off and create the most noise. How do you sort of, like, what messages do you give to them? For me, it's about them finding the baby steps to their own authentic self. And social media is almost the opposite of that. It plays a role, right, an important role. I mean, the proliferation of information and ideas has never been as vast or as wide or as global as it is. And I'm, I'm happy for that. I mean, like, Something happens in Vietnam, it can be in my handheld in the next moment, right? That's pretty impressive. But it is soul-destroying. It is making too many people feel like they're losing when they're winning. No matter what you do, there's somebody out there in the world that's doing it better. A better holiday, a better boat, a better car, yeah, yeah, yeah. a better you know, jacket, whatever it is. It's leading to some form of paralysis where the only thing, not the only thing, but one of the things that people do is they retreat into just looking rather than doing anymore because what's the point mm. you've already seen three people that have had the idea they can cook better than me they can film a video better than me and i think that's the danger um starting a business up you know people think like well look rick your business is great look how many billions you have under management right no one ever sees the grind right but yeah we know that but i'm regularly with people that manage hundred billion dollar businesses and you know i sit on the board of a company that has 1.2 trillion in assets. Like, so, like, there's the, the mountains always way higher. So, how do we learn the lesson then that other people's happiness shouldn't take away from our happiness? Yeah. I've read something the other day that um, it was, it was uh, probably on social media, but it was about social media. It said, if any post you see makes you feel like you have to be a different person, unfollow it now. Right? Because that's what's happening. It's like you yeah. see something and you're like, there's plenty of things that are great, self-help, mental health, et cetera. But there's so many things that make you feel like, I'm not doing this right. I'm not popular enough. I'm not at the right parties. I'm not, you know, I'm 30 and like I haven't made 5 million. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Like, yeah. And that is soul destroying in a way that like, if we go back to the original part of our conversation, it's like high performance is you getting to that level that exceeds yours in the your expectations and the expectations that are of the people that are closest to you, but in a way that you can live with and be proud of yeah. and doesn't sacrifice your soul. And that's the part that's getting eroded by glimpsing into everyone's fabulous life that they just recorded for two seconds and then went back to their crappy life. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. That's the thing. We're comparing the real world against someone else's edited version of their life. Yeah, so edited. The other real big danger is that social media allows everyone to pass judgment on you. Right. And if everyone's passing judgment on you, it's never been more difficult to be yourself. We're now in a world where people are not being themselves. And even the people that are putting out the edited photos that are making other people feel bad, you have to feel sorry for them because they feel the need to put the edited photo 
on the social media. If you just thought about your five best friends and you thought, who would have maximum empathy for me every single time that something <laughs> happened? You couldn't even get that crew to be on <laughs> your side all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are your best mates. But now we're going to let unknown masses vote on whether you're attractive enough, you're wearing the right clothes, you're in the right situation, you're in the right holiday, yeah. your business is big enough, you know, et cetera. Yeah, that's a tough one. I'm not saying be a hermit and, and shut off. Just keep it in perspective. Brilliant. Number six. And this obviously resonates with the conversation we're having. Performance matters. I'm a, I'm a big fan of trying, right? But in the end, we're here for a purpose. And so performance matters. And performance doesn't mean that like we always get to our ultimate definition of success. But what it does mean is that like we're here to get a job done. So if you say you're going to do something, you got to get it done. Just coming back and saying, I tried or I called him, but he didn't call me back. I'm like, that's great. Like that, you're going to get half credit for trying, but performance is what really matters because that's what drives the engine that lets us do more. Yeah. Unlimited love, limited time. Yeah, this so, intrigues God. Yeah. So that one is that it was on a t-shirt for the foundation, which is that the world's a big place and there's many things that you can do and, and, and will do, but the world forces you to ration. I mean, it's cruel, but it does. Like you have to spend your time and energy on the things, the people, the situations that you feel like you can have the biggest impact and be most productive. And so with the, the people that come and either apply for a scholarship or that I've mentored, it's that like, look, I love you all, but I'm going to spend my time and energy on the, the ones of you that are serious about this and that are going to try the hardest to succeed because I have to ration. Yeah. I, I, in addition to my philanthropy and business, I've got my daughters, I've got my friends. Like, I don't have unlimited time to do this. I got unlimited love. Yeah. I will love you from afar, but if you want my time, this is how we do it. So what's your view on that view that successful people say no more than unsuccessful people? Yeah. I don't know if they say no more often, but I know that's something I struggled with. Like, I had to teach myself how to say no. I mean, I think I want to help, and then you just realize there's too much of you leaking into too many situations. I think, first, you realize that you're wearing yourself down. You've got to think about your own physical and mental health of just, you know, trying to be everywhere and think about everything. But there's the other part, which is that, that I think really makes it come home to roost for a lot of people, which is that when you're performance, like, you say you're going to do something, but now you're doing so many things that you can't perform to the level that you expect of yourself. You're like, there's something wrong with the recipe. Shonda Rhimes, famous producer, director, you know, a lot of shows that you know um, in L.A. Uh, she went to the same school a few years behind me. Um, I don't know her, but we're you know, acquainted. And she had a year of saying yes. She realized she was so into her work and writing and she wrote all those great hits. And she had two, she had, at the time, she had two young children. And she just said, I'm going to commit to a year of saying yes. Every time they want me to play with them, whatever. And I heard that and I was like, I need a year of saying no. Like, that's what yeah, I, like, yeah. I realized I needed the opposite. And so I needed to figure out how to say no. And I think I've got most of the right balance. I'm not sure that uh, the people around me always think I so say no enough. So give me some tips on how to do that? Because that's something that personally I, I struggle with. That I'm, I'm a people pleaser. So saying no to people often feels quite difficult. So young people come to me and, and say like, you know, will you mentor me? And I'm thinking, God, how do I not help someone that's like I was, whatever, but you can't help 50 of them, right? I'm, I started off with two or three mentees and I probably have 30 now. And right. I've, I've designed an answer for that because I get them all together so they know each other and they don't need me as often. But one of the ways that I did it, and this is, and I think you need 
a tactic like this for all the different situations. Someone come up to me and I go, okay, how serious are you about this? If you're serious, write me three or four pages on what you're doing, what you're going to do, and what you do at the time. 98% of them don't do that. Brilliant. So they want you to help them if you'll teach them and drag them up the hill. Uh, But if you ask them to go, you invest in this, you be serious about it, think about it, and then come back to me with a plan on how you'd use my time, a lot of them go away. This is also an interesting one, number eight. Reduce speed to action and achievement. Yeah, I, I think that we all have different styles on how we do things. And all I ask is that people think about it and then do it, right? Reduce the speed to action and achieving. Like the planning part makes sometimes people, some, sometimes people confuse activity with productivity. Mm. Or they think, I'm doing it. Like I've been doing my homework. I'm like, but are you learning? Or I've been mapping out all the steps to do this, but have you actually done it? So what if you're not certain? What if you're only 51% sure that the decision you're making is the right one and I come to you and I've gone, look, I've got some great speed here, but I've gone the wrong direction. That's completely okay because you know what? Knowing what you know, knowing what you don't know and being able to ask is completely fine. I don't mind. Do that at the beginning. Do that in the middle. That's even a good excuse not to make progress. But what isn't a good excuse is we say we're going to do a thing in a week you wait to two hours before the week's over and go, you know, I didn't understand the question and I got stuck in the middle. Like, reduce that. Get that at the beginning. Like, yep. just go, you know what? Can I have another conversation about like what we're trying to do here? Because I was thinking this, am I off base? That's way better and more productive than waiting to the end, the week's over and going, mm, didn't get to that. And it's then start yeah. the excuse backdrop, which is, you know, I didn't understand. I think it's smart. And I, there's another sort of phrase I really like, which is that, action leads to motivation i think so often people are waiting thinking i'll get motivated to do that soon start the action without the motivation then you'll find the motivation will follow i agree i mean sometimes just getting into it and sometimes i do i mean like you know you you hear about people trying to get over their writer's block by just writing not writing about what they're supposed to write about but write about anything the sun's up looks good it's really sunny i feel warm god i'd like a piece of toast right like you know just the act of doing get you there i mean you know how many times were you supposed to work out and you're like i want to work out i want the feeling of working out but i can't seem to get started and then as soon as you get started on anything you're like god i really wanted to do this yeah and you're back in it again we take our work and success seriously but ourselves far less so that's the fun side of humility which is like look you know we we can be ninjas we can be high performance artists in trying to get stuff done but having a humility that like we're just human beings, we're clowns, we're funny people, we're frail, we're fragile, etc. And so that, that probably goes with the neck, the, one of the next ones, which is work hard, play hard, right? Which is like, we want to succeed. And I think our clients really like the fact that, that they don't sacrifice anything in choosing us. We're, we're among the best in the business, right? But at the same time, you kind of like hanging around with us because we're still real people. And we still like to have fun and laugh. And you know, we understand that, you know, anytime you spend with us, even if it's your job, it would be better if you were actually enjoying the time. Yeah. And we take that seriously too. So we make, we make, make it fun or we try to make it fun. That's why the nice caveat of the one that you just mentioned, the work hard, play hard, but always answer the call. Yeah. So the, the, there's an interesting twist on that, which is, um, I think people get it after a while. They're like, wow, these people are very successful. They really work hard and they like to party. Like they, I mean, they, they can. I read about your passes in cans on the beach. And yeah, they, DJing. They, can, they can go after it a bit. Yeah. And so I think that part is there. But what I, 
what I've tried to emphasize is that you've got a responsibility to the collective. So even if we're partying, even we're going on, if it's three o'clock in the morning and and it's closing down and I'm the one that bought the last 15 shots and put them on the bar, it's still your responsibility to know at nine o'clock we have that call with the client. I will be ready and you have to be ready too. So I might be the instigator and the animator, but you have a personal responsibility to understand if I need to take myself out of harm's way and separate the gasoline from the fire, that's my responsibility. It's not the collective's responsibility. We often talk on the podcast about soft skills and hard skills. Yeah. Are you okay with people in your business who've got the hard skills and they just want to come and they just want to work and they want to be successful and build some wealth for themselves and for your clients and go home? They don't really want to do the soft skills. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, because we're, we're not trying to create a cult. You don't have to do all of those things to each their own. Some people work and go home and, and it, it, it's even appropriate or, or, um, pertinent on, with respect to some people don't have the skills to do all the things that will make them a successful future CEO. It, I was just having this conversation, with my CEO, cause we we're talking about, you know, an individual and, and he or she, cause I'm going to keep it anonymous, are really good at what they do and, the debate among the senior management team is like, but they don't have lateral movement. They're never going to be a good manager. They don't seem to be interested in doing that. Mm. And so should they be at the next level, et cetera? We have to have room for sole proprietors. Sole proprietors that still fit in our culture. They're not going to violate the principles of our culture and be a jerk or an asshole, right? But they just are good at doing deals or managing an asset or doing accounting really well or being a CFO or whatever. I'm making this up. I promise I'm making it up. Um, but there has to be room for people that don't have the full spectrum of curiosity or ambition or extroversion because that makes for a better complete set. You want some of those people that go, actually, I don't want to go to the party. I'm like, great, I'll take your tickets and I'll go. Yeah, of course. I think one of the other challenges is as the business evolves and develops, how you deal with people that were right at the time. I mean, you remember the famous Netflix playbook really like, how to fire people basically it was yep. a big thing for them like how do you how does the business evolve and these these people that don't evolve something has to happen with them how do you deal with that someone that was right at one time but they're not right now yeah and that's the part that's the radical candor i mean we've just had this conversation with you know um, some people sometimes they come to the conclusion themselves and they realize like i liked the startup phase or i liked when like the roles were relatively undefined and even though they're mid-level or senior or very senior. They get to a place where they're like, actually, this doesn't fit me anymore. Yeah. Or we've got to say it doesn't fit you or it doesn't fit where we're going. And doesn't mean you're not important, productive, valuable, yeah. but you just might not be as valuable to what this is and where it's going. Yeah. And so we've got to find a humane way to s- make the but separation. But you're perfect somewhere else. Like There's a business that would suit yeah, yeah. you perfectly well. Or, or it could, depending on what you want. A lot of times those people need a check-in. They need to check in like, actually, what do I want now? Because I've had conversations where I go, you know, I'm still flying pretty fast and your landing gear is down. So can we have that conversation? I mean, like, is the landing gear down permanently or are you just tired? Because if you're tired, we got you. Go get a rest, go recharge. But if you're just thinking, I've done this pretty for a while, I've exceeded my perspective or, or my goals on net worth or whatever i mean sometimes you're successful enough where you're like i made more money than i thought i was going to and i'm comfortable now yeah that's okay but it might not be what the collective needs so before you set up tristan i was conscious that you were successful in another business as well 
for you to have left that to set up Tristan is that the kind of conversations you were having with yourself around where you were in your career or the kind yeah, of Yeah, if not consciously, subconsciously. I mean, you know, I, I, I've done this three times. One was small, but I was inside a firm and was doing it for yeah. a firm. The second one, I was a partner, so I was an owner, but I was still an entrepreneur. And this was the time that I, I could do it my way or our right. way. And, and, you know, the good part is that you're doing it completely your way. The bad part is you, it's completely yours, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, from budget to everything else, you live and die with it. Um, and this is what felt comfortable to me. I mean, part of it just comes out of necessity. Like, you know, just yourself. You're like, I'm grinding on this. I want to have fun. So you start building in things that have fun. And you realize people actually like that. Like they, they're enjoying working harder because you you play part of the time you have good snacks you take yourself less seriously yeah you know you're goofing around sometimes i forget that i am at the top of the organization not not in terms of my behavior but because i don't see myself as unapproachable but some of the junior people come in and go like that's rick like hi yeah and i'm thinking <laughs> really like oh, seriously okay. like like, I, I mean, I do fancy myself as Lord Vader on, at moments, <laughs> but like generally I'm not wearing the cloak and with, well, with the breath. Well, the real so. challenge, Emmick, is similar to what people often joke the problem the Queen has, that everywhere you go, she assumes the world smells of fresh paint. How do you know what's going on in your business when you're not there? How do you know how people are behaving when you're not walking down the corridors? I think part of it is that you, you've got to have a good team, which I do, and, and good partners. I think part of it is that you've got to ask a lot of questions. And then I think I've had an ability, you know, I don't know if you call it innate or developed, but like I can feel a disturbance in the force. And, and they, they used to joke that my, my unofficial joking name was Lord Vader, right? I mean, partially, I mean, I mean, it's a joke. I'm tall and black. I'm like, come on, that's the easy way, right? Like, but, but it was that, like, I'd sit there and go, what's going on over there? And they're like, you just got here. How do you know that there's a problem there? I'm like, cause I could see the body language is off or like, you can tell where somebody doesn't want to tell you something or they're like, you know, ducking your glance. You're like, what's going on? Because. And you'll just vocalize that. Yeah. I think a lot of the times I'll see that and think, mm, something's going on there, but, but you will just go straight. What's, yeah and if it's not to them it's then to their manager or to my yeah, ceo yeah. or to my partners and go what's happening there yeah, yeah. like and sometimes it'll be like don't worry it's it's completely like they're, they're just throwing the toys out of the pram but they're picking them up right. and you don't have to worry about it or sometimes it's like yeah we should talk about that yeah how fluid have these principles been since you founded the business how much of them have changed and how much of them have been consistent They've been totally consistent. And, and I, I hope it's not because I've been dictatorial, but I just think that they've fit. It doesn't mean that we don't morph off of them, but they're just kind of like an inner core, yeah. which is like, you know, we don't, we give them to every employee. They're in the starting pack with all the other stuff they right. get. And I think that's more than anything. It's saying we have an intentional culture because we've also said, Hey, Hey, we have a rule book, but we're all from different cultures, different backgrounds. If you've got a better rule, help us rip that page out and put a new one in. And so there are morphs off of those things that, that have created the infrastructure and backbone that has grown in our company. Yep. But yeah, there's been times where people are like, I want to add three more. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not the point, right? The point isn't, you know, do we have 15 commandments or 30 commandments? Or It's that we have some and it makes you think, actually, this is kind of intentional. We're yep. doing this on purpose. And 
the rest, there's probably 30 things that we really practice. This is just the 12 we talk about that call your attention to the fact that we are doing it for a reason. So for those listeners sort of itching now that we've only covered 11, <laughs> number 12 is trustworthiness, integrity, and honesty are not optional, non-negotiable. That's one of my, sorry, I'm going to skip ahead here. That's one of my, my You've personal. literally got three non-negotiables <laughs> yeah. running your business. Yeah, so, so those are, those are, those are my, um. So those are your three. Longer, no, that, that, I, I consider that one, right? Like I look yeah. at that and go, look, it's not debatable. Either you're going to be a person that says and does what they say they're going to do, or you're not. And if I can't trust you, yeah, you can have a foot fault once because everyone makes mistakes. Maybe you didn't intend it. But after that, I may still, associate with you i may still have a drink with you a dinner with you play around the golf with you but i'm not trusting you not yeah. with my most valuable resources which is my word my reputation my family my friends and so that's one of them that's fundamental to a lot of people but that's definitely fundamental to me that's one of my non-negotiables so let's have the other two of your non-negotiables then my most important non-human relationship is with time so how one relates or treats my time, like, can we be productive? Can we be efficient? Can we have fun is going to probably define my relationship with you. Yeah. Like, so that's, that's one of them. And I think the third one is it's related to the first one, which is, I don't want to be too flippant, but words are cheap. I'm going to judge, judge is probably the wrong word. I'm probably going to develop my perspective on you and our relationship based on what you do and not what you say. So, it's great that you say some things, but what I want to know is what you really want to do. Because for me, that's the single biggest indicator of desire. Like, is that really what you want to do? Or did you do it for performance, et cetera, and consistency of action over words or, or what you communicate is far more important to me. Those are, those are probably the core of my non-negotiables. Wow. Or at least, yeah approachables <laughs> very good we've segued nicely into our quick fire round at the end of the interview so what's the one piece of advice that you give to a teenage rick in salem just starting out on your journey mm, what a piece of advice i don't think i have one but I'll, I'll rip through it really quickly i think first what i've learned is that so much more is possible than i ever imagined it's just it really just takes the doing right like it just does the second is that the struggle's real right? Like it's supposed to be hard. Hard work is hard. And if it wasn't, it would be a holiday somewhere, right? So normalize that and, and let it motivate you that you're supposed to fall down. It's supposed to feel gritty. The last one, and I've talked about this before, and I th see so many people get in their own way, is that no one wakes up and has the energy or desire to play man-to-man -man defense on you in your life. No one does. Like, no one gets up and thinks I'm going to block you from the bathroom, getting your toothbrush, going to work, getting on <laughs> yeah, the bus, So why do we spend our lives thinking that's what people are out to do? Because we're getting in our own way. Like, usually you are the biggest impediment to your own success. Like, you just got to swerve it, move out of the way. It doesn't mean, go back to number two, that the struggle's not real, that it isn't hard, that there aren't impediments. But normally, it's like if you look in the mirror, you're like, I actually don't want it that bad. Or I don't want to work that hard or this feels tougher than I'm ready for at this stage of my life. There's no one standing there going, I'm not going to let you be successful. I got you today. I got you. Inspiring. What's your biggest strength? And what is your greatest weakness? 
biggest strength, I think, is my curiosity and my ability to curate and convene people to yeah. ideas and thoughts, whether it's a new investment fund, a party, et cetera. I know how to animate and create that excitement that people go, what's going on over there and why am I not invited, which is the key. My weakness, and this is an area for constant need for work, is that I think my enthusiasm, as you've seen here, means that I'm probably a better talker than listener, and I just need to keep trying to listen without doing. Just listen, and don't try to solve, don't try to fix, don't try to do. But it do. comes from a good place, that desire to... Yeah, well, that's the rationalization that makes you not work on it so well, <laughs> so much, right? But yeah. that's right, it comes from a good place, yeah. but sometimes I just need to listen. Yeah, listen yeah, to yeah, someone's yeah. problem and be better at empathy yeah. without doing anything. And I struggle not to try and solve the problem, but sometimes that just makes people feel worse or yeah. Yeah. whatever. So the, yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest weakness. I keep working on it. I'm intrigued at your answer to this one, Rick. What's the one book recommendation you'd make for our listeners? It's a book that I, my daughters gave me that I've been telling people about. It's, it's called, it's by Carlo Rivelli and it's called, There Are Places in the World Where Kindness Is More Important Than Being Right. And he's a, he's a physicist, right? But like his perspective on the world and about things in the non-physical world has shaped a couple of things that shaped my thoughts about philanthropy and convening fundraising and stuff like that. He's just, his perspective on things is really intriguing. So I'd say, pick it up. It's not a book that you'd think you'd like and you'll see it. And then you'll read five of his other books. Wonderful. Final question. And this is kind of your parting gift, I guess, for the viewers and the listeners of High Performance. And that is... What is your one golden rule for people to live a high-performance life? However you do it or wherever you do it, I think if you can, you can find the place, the highest place, where your curiosity intersects your passion and your energy, get there and then get out of the way. Everything else will take care of itself. Wonderful. A brilliant way to sign off and a really, really fascinating conversation. And I don't think you've shared those 12 guiding principles this before. is the first so time thank you so much for coming on okay. here and um and being so open and honest with us that was an enlightening conversation thank you incredible. thank you both thank you, thanks thank you. thanks damien jake oh sometimes i'm really reticent to say that's my favorite ever conversation because i think we've had amazing conversations i wouldn't want other people to think oh was mine not good but that i got so much from that i mean it happens quite often, but this was one of those moments where I feel so energized. I feel ready to, to like run out of here now, get my laptop and get going and go and see my kids and say some brilliant things to them and be present for my wife and drive on all my businesses and push hyper. Like, and he's made me feel like that. Is some of that because of, like, I know you run uh, Whisper that you founded with Sonel mm. and, and, with, and with David and Harriet. So... Do, it, is some of that because you think you can apply some of those principles in 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 real life? Yeah, but it's even more than that. It's because it's a really big injection straight into my artery of a reminder that it's all there. It's all there for me. If I just get the processes right, if I get the energy right, if I bring positivity, if I let people have fun, if I encourage the right people, um, you can honestly achieve anything. And so I think I've said this to you before, but my favourite musical is Hamilton and yep. they, there's a line in there where he says there's a million things I haven't done and I have that conversation with, with Rick and I think oh man there's a million things I haven't done but the reason why I'm so excited is because it, suddenly it all makes sense like I can see it all I can see how I can get those million things done yep. 
because the processes are right there. It is a choice and he's helping people listening to this to make the right choices. Yeah, and the fact that he's doing it with a, that he's heading up a successful business and yet he's sitting with us and saying it's about culture, it's about being authentic, treating people decently. That to me is like so powerful a message for us to understand that you don't have to get to the top in business and be a bastard. You don't have to be ruthless. You can be, like he said, radical in your candor to call people out, but you can do it with a heart as well. And I think it's a good point that doing it with a heart. A lot of people think, oh yeah, when I'm successful, I'll then be philanthropic and I'll care and I'll have a heart. He's had it from day one and he's shown that you can get to the summit of the mountain with empathy. Yeah, and I think if, if there was one message I'd like people to take from this is, see what Rick was telling there is the equivalent of that careers coach that said to him, you're setting your aspirations too low. And I think for anyone listening to this, think are my aspirations high enough that match the scale of my own ambition and my own capabilities? Well, Damien, uh, nice to chat. And what an interesting week for high performance. Not just the reaction from people, but we can, uh, we can talk about the number of reactions because we hit a sort of significant milestone recently for the high performance podcast. I know, Jake, and it's a number that sort of scrambled my brain a bit when we sort of realised that we'd gone past 10 million downloads, that uh, it's sort of, it's incredible just to 10 think. 10 million? Of 10 million people, like a whole just nation. Just so you know, 9,996,742 of those are my mum. <laughs> she is oh, a She's very kind, fan. yeah. She's listened to the Tom <laughs> Daly episode about 4 trillion times, yeah. <laughs> no, it's incredible, isn't it, just to think that there's people that have listened and made a deliberate choice, 10 million occasions, that they wanted to let us join them, whether it's on a walk or a run or when they're in the car, however they're listening to it, it's just incredibly humbling. So, uh, yeah, that's a real milestone. And, you know, for the last few years, I've spoken to people often about the power of seven, yeah? I've said to them, just pick seven people, right? And spend your time stitching positivity and good messages into those seven. And one of the messages has to be, they have to pick seven people to stitch it into. And before you know it, obviously that can grow huge. I like to think that, okay, 10 million downloads, seven people per download have been hit by the podcast. And suddenly that's the whole population of the United Kingdom. That's the important thing for me is if people hear stuff and they love it, like spread it, talk about it, share it with others, you know? Yeah, definitely. Because there's so much wisdom that our guests are giving us that that can help anyone in any aspects of their life, whether you're talking about this as a parent, as a partner, as a professional. We've just had so much wisdom uh, dropped on us by our guests that you cannot not get value from it, I'd argue. And you know, I recently went to Silverstone for the Grand Prix and oh, yeah. a lady came up to me and she started crying because of the impact of the podcast. And she said, it's just oh, been wow. a really difficult year and it really helped her. And then I had a phone call this week from a, from a Premier League football manager who's not working at the moment. And he gave me a call and we just had a chat for almost an hour about the guests and the way the podcast operates and what it's doing for him. And he said, look, you know, what? give it a couple of years. And when I'm back in management, I'll come on and I'll talk about what the podcast did for me during this period. And that is what I love oh, is wow. that we're impacting people at the elite level and then we're impacting everybody else as well. And I, and I don't know, maybe there shouldn't even be a distinction between people at the elite level and people who aren't. We're all people, right? And if Johnny Wilkinson was talking to us, he'd say, well, it doesn't matter what, what environment you're operating in. You're a human being and this is your story. And if we can just help people along yeah. the way, then, we're, then we've done our job, haven't we? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, w- I was given calls this week. I was reading uh, some of the suggested books that uh, when we had uh, Hal Robson Carnu uh, on it and he spoke about the epigenetics and that wasn't something I was familiar with and it's about how your environment can influence your genes and therefore the results that you get. And it struck me about this podcast that if somebody's going out for a walk and they're listening to Hal or, um, you know, today's guest Rick Lewis talk about this and how they're in their own way shaping their own environment while they're listening to the input that they're getting that suddenly makes them feel better, makes them maybe unstick their own thinking that, again, it's just uh, incredibly invaluable. And I think we live in a world, right? I was saying this to someone the other day. I said, why is it that farmers are seen as farmers and footballers are lauded as footballers, right? Those farmers are putting food on our table. They're getting up at six o'clock in the morning. They're grafting. Yet they're not the ones that have an open top bus parade at the end of harvest through <laughs> the city centre with everyone clapping and cheering, right? It's the footballers who've kicked a ball in a net to get a, yeah. an open top bus tour. But that's just the way that our world is. And so they're, 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 there you go. That's the way it is. But what I love is that when we have a conversation with Mel Marshall, who operates in the shadows, she does the quiet stuff. She's at the pool at five o'clock in the morning. She's not on the podium. She doesn't take a medal back to her house. She doesn't write autobiographies and she doesn't go on a question of sport or sports personality of the year. But from the reaction that we've seen, people get as much from those operating in the shadows like Mel as they do from people like Adam Beatty, who was on the podcast last week. And it was really interesting for me to compare the reaction of both guests, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's incredibly uh, heartening, I'd say that, I mean, that's where I, that I've been lucky enough to spend a large proportion of my adult life is sort of in the shadows with those guys supporting them. And I see the hard work, the sacrifice, the discipline, the dedication, the constant hunger for self-improvement that that Mel and lots of other coaches like her have. And I think when people can listen to this and it resonates with them and they can take away and apply it, whether they're running an under-fives football team or whether they're a teacher in a classroom or even if it's just as a parent with the kids, I, that to us is, a, again, it's a, re, it's a revalidation of what we're trying to do with this stuff, which is to make a positive difference to anybody wherever they uh, they listen to it. Wonderful. And I asked people after the Adam Peaty episode to get in touch and share the one bit of advice that's really resonated with them on the podcast. Let me just let me just share a couple of them with you. So I had a message from Devang Shah who said uh, the one that stood out to me the most so far. We've been given two ears and one mouth for a reason. Who said that, Damien? Mel Marshall. It was Mel Marshall. And it's a great line, isn't it? Because I think if you're a coach, you feel you have to talk all the time. And sometimes listening is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, um, I've, again, I've, I've been lucky enough to, uh, to know Mel and to have seen her operate. And, I, and everything that she shared with us when we chatted is something that you can go and stand on the side of the pool and watch her actually implement it. There's, uh, there's no sort of hypocrisy about what she says. She, she implements that. Liam pinged me a message as well on Instagram. He said, my biggest takeaway from the High Performance Podcast is you have to discover what works for you. That will involve trying things and them not working, but then finding what works for you, which is really rewarding. And this is something you talk about a lot, Damien, when you work with sports teams and individuals. Expect the struggle, right? Yeah. Yeah, embrace it. It's going to come your way and it's not a sign that you're failing. It's a sign that you're actually progressing, where that resistance starts to happen is a sign that you're on the right track and you're going to, it's that messy middle, that bit in the middle where it's referred to as Cantor's law after a lady called Ross Cantor. Everything looks like a failure in the middle. And that's where most people give up. 
the high performers keep going through that period. Kit Mercy said the one lesson I've really taken on board is when Clive Woodward said, you never lose, you either win or you learn. I found it really powerful. It stuck with me since I listened to it a few months ago. And I fully believe you can take that mindset and apply it to most, if not every walk of life. And that is, I think if someone said, what's your biggest takeaway? I would say that the lives that people live in sport and in the arts and in business also applies to teaching and parenting and every other job, every other facet of their lives. You know, these are not conversations about sport, Damien. These aren't conversations about business. These are conversations about human beings. Yeah, and again, it echoes to me. If I, if there was a line that stands out for me, it's when it's when we were chatting with Phil Neville when we were in his hotel just opposite Old Trafford, and uh, I don't know how well he advertised it or told people that they opened that hotel up for NHS workers for free when the lockdown first happened, and he used that casual line when we were sort of complimenting him on it, and he said, "You do the best you can with what you've got in the moment you're in." And that, for both of us, I know, resonated as just a brilliant definition of high performance because it indicates we all start from different places with different levels, but we do the best that we can in the moment that we're in. It always reminds me of the troll, you know, the the rock people in Frozen. And I know oh, you, yeah. like, it's ridiculous to talk about Frozen on the High Performance Podcast, but <laughs> as a parent, I hear it a lot and watch it a lot, but there's a bit where the, those people who are like rocks and they unfurl themselves yeah. when... Um, when is it Elsa when she gets her heart frozen and there's the man goes the heart is not so easily changed and one of the lines he says and in this situation all you can do is the next right thing and I know it's like a daft line from a Disney film but actually like if you just do the next right thing or at least what you perceive to be the next right thing every day you can't go far wrong can you yeah no uh, but again doesn't that look at me bringing in disney movies into a (laughs) high there's you with some like amazing (laughs) psychological in-depth study that was done in the 1960s and that's me talking about frozen it might even be frozen too i'm not sure no no it is it's frozen (laughs) one i've i've sat and enjoyed it as well but isn't that a lovely message for any kid uh, for anyone but kids especially just just do the next right thing just be kind to the next person you meet even if you've sort of slipped up in the past i love that um final message actually that came on instagram was from vincent hitchens and he said hi jake and damien i want to let you know the high performance podcast brings me so much joy i put on one of your podcasts every time i go for a walk with my dog or i go for a drive and it inspires me to know that success can be attained through kindness humility and authenticity your interviews finally show successful people in a different light. So often the media outlets like to portray ruthless billionaires who became successful at any cost. So refreshing to hear a new message, a message where people come first. And I love that. I've had enough of you're fired and, and all of that sort of stuff. I, I, like you can be compassionate and successful. End of. Yeah, I had a really good example of this recently and I was telling you where I was fortunate to be invited behind the scenes of a Michelin star restaurant and my interpretation, I've never been in an environment like that, is you realise how much he's shaped by like Gordon Ramsay's effing and blinding and swearing at people and you went in and it was just speaking in hushed tones. There wasn't a raised voice. It was all courtesy and respect and it shows again that high performance isn't one way it's not about thinking it's about churchillian speeches and rabble rousing it can be done in really quiet respectful discreet ways as well listen mate thank you ever so much as always loved it thanks jane by the way rick lewis wow what a guy i absolutely love that one that's had a quite a profound impact on me i've sort of been thinking about my principles the things that shape our decision making 
uh, ever since we met him. So, uh, yeah, it was a real privilege, that one. I've taken on board, um, you know, when he spoke about, uh, you know, if someone's just, if one of your children are misbehaving, you say, listen, I'm not judging you and I'm not saying that you're a bad person. You're just having a bad moment. Go out the room and when you come back in, we start from zero again. We're back to where we were. Like, I love that and I've used that on my kids a fair bit. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Good to catch up as always. Top man. Uh, as always, we couldn't do this without Damien. You can find him on Instagram and his amazing daily inspirational quotes at Liquid Thinker. <laughs> uh, thanks as well to Hannah and to Will. Thanks to Finn Ryan and all the team at Rethink Audio for their hard work on the podcast. But we say it every week and we won't stop saying it. Without you, this podcast is not where it is at now. It hasn't got 10 million downloads. It hasn't impacted people. It isn't changing the way we think. It isn't altering our belief that you have to be ruthless to be successful. It's only spreading good. So if you have time and if you have the inclination, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, rate us. But if you can give us a shout out on your social media so the people in your little circle or even in your big circle um, get impacted by it, then that just helps us more than we can ever tell you. Um, thank you very much for being part of our journey. Um, and actually, it's probably your journey, not ours, isn't it? Thanks very much. And we'll see you for another episode very soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details support comes from ServiceNow, the ai platform for business transformation you've heard the hype around ai the truth is ai is only as powerful as the platform it's built into ServiceNow is the platform that puts ai to work for people across your business removing friction and frustration for your employees supercharging productivity for your developers providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.